you're listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Elise Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real-life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Hey, 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 this is the Real Talk SLP podcast, and I am your host, Felice Clark, the Dabbling Speechy. Welcome. We are in another week. It's already February. Can you believe it? I mean, this this year is flying by, and yet there are some days when they are so long and drawn out that I'm like, when is the end of the year in sight? So... I guess I'm putting my eyes towards spring break. Spring break is coming, guys. So we are here with a new episode. I have a wonderful guest today named Claudia Doan. She is a school-based SLP, and she's going to be chatting with me about how to build trust and rapport with your students, um, especially those students that maybe have some other things going on that they're struggling with emotionally. Um, she's going to share some really practical tips that we can infuse into our sessions to you know, build that trust. Uh, so that we can start to have more engaging speech therapy sessions. You know, I'm all about engaging my students in therapy. And I remember there have been students in the past where what I thought was engaging or was going to be helpful for a student didn't work. And, and I had to take a step back and reflect and look at what the student's needs were and what did they need for the session and switch, switch it up, you know? And, and I think we all have that kid in mind right now where we're going, yeah, this kid is really hard to engage. They, they don't want to do the activities. They're really struggling right now, maybe behaviorally, or they're really withdrawn and shy. Um, or reluctant to communicate. And, and you're kind of just going, well, I don't know what else to do. I've, I've tried everything. And so I'm really excited to have Claudia Doan come on today and and just give us a lot of her insights and, and what is what has worked for her caseload. So before we, ha- we introduce Claudia, I just want to remind you guys, the next virtual speech retreat professional development event is happening on March 6th. So if you haven't been to one of our speech retreats in the past. We held one over the summer and one in November, and we like we like to pamper you. We like to celebrate speech therapists because we don't always get that right. So when you buy a ticket for the speech retreat, you get six hours of professional development, and we we pick different topics so that the pace of the day is engaging. It's like it's just it's just enough information for you to get some new tips for a certain topic. And then we switch gears and have a new speaker come on with their own style and expertise to share another topic. Um, and it, it, it keeps the engagement going for us as the learners. You know, I talk so much about how I love activities that engage my students. Well, I'll be frank with you here. I need, I was one of those kids. If it was not delivered in an engaging way in school, I was looking out the window and imagining, you know, what I could be doing at home and picking flowers in a field. Okay. That was me. So I'm so excited for another speech retreat. It's $97 
You get six hours of clinical maintenance, um, which will go to your ASHA CEUs. You just cannot put them, you know, you can't register them with the ASHA registry. But if you keep the certificate that we send you and you ever get audited, which I have in the past and I was cleared, um, I showed them all of my certificates from different presentations and, and my registered CEUs too. And I was good to go. So you get, you, there's a lot of different speakers. We have one on present levels for IEPs. I'm going to be talking about conversation scripts and using those with autism. We have Stephen, the SLP for speech fluency, uh, Amy Graham for apraxia. We have Kara Walton for cultural mindset shift. And we have an AAC one from Marine. And Hallie's going to be hooking us up with some mixed group ideas. So there's just a, a wide variety. So I would really encourage you, if you're interested in this, to go to speechretreat.com and check out all the details. You can watch it live. But guess what? If you can't tune in live, you have lifetime access to the videos. Okay. So that's, that's another great thing. You can use it for your professional development time on your lunch breaks when you can watch. But also I forgot to tell you too, you also get $40 of digital speech therapy material swag. And on the live day, we have raffles all day long. We have a virtual photo booth. We just try to make it fun, fun, fun. So I would really love it if you, um, if you're interested and you feel like this is a great fit for your learning, grab a ticket, grab a ticket now. All right. So let's head on over to the interview with Claudia. All right. So I'm so excited to have Claudia Doan come on the show. Welcome. Welcome, Claudia. Thanks, Felice. It's so great to be here. I know. I'm glad we got to, we figured out our schedules to make this work. We're going to be talking about how to build rapport and trust with your students, and you always share such great insights on social media and your blog, so I'm really excited to hear what you do in your therapy room. And before we jump in to the topic, I would love it if you could share your background and experience in the field as a speech pathologist. Absolutely. And yeah, I'm so excited to be here. This is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. So as for my background, I've been a pediatric SLP since 2009, and I've worked with a pretty wide range of ages. So I've worked with really little kids in a pediatric clinic, but mostly my experience has been in the schools. I've worked in elementary, middle, and high school. And the cool thing has been that I've had a lot of different kinds of school experiences over the years. So I've worked in settings with children who have more severe communication needs. I've worked with older kids with more significant behavioral challenges. Uh, I've also worked in like an elementary setting where a lot of kids were struggling with poverty. And I'm just really passionate overall about engaging all of my students and finding what really you know, gets them motivated and excited to learn and building relationships with them. That's awesome. I think we have a very similar um, background because I've done preschool to high school. I've been in all over, all over, like just different school settings, all sorts of ages, different types of programs. And in a way, it was it was hard. I think it's you know there's roadblocks with that because there's not as much consistency. But then it also has taught me a lot as well. I don't know about you. Absolutely, I feel like 
I learned so much in my first year as a therapist because I feel like when you're on the job, it's like it was my most challenging job was my first year. And I feel like when every after you go through something like where it's very intense like that, you realize you can do anything. And then the next job I had after that, as you said, it was completely different in terms of like the age I was with or the needs that they had. But you develop this ability to kind of learn as you go and you realize the skill set that you have can be applied to so many different situations. So I think it is a gift to be able to just dive into all of these different types of scenarios as a therapist. Yes. So I, I'm sure you have a lot of insight from all the different ages and all those settings. So before we talk, we jump into all your knowledge, I always ask my guests to talk about a song that either inspires them in the speech world to be a better speech pathologist, or if you have a song to share that has helped you create a bond with someone or a song that reminds you of an important relationship you have as a speech pathologist, I would love it if you could share that. You know, I love that question. I have always had like a passion for music. I just really believe it does create a bond. You know, throughout my life, music definitely played a role in my relationships. My father actually taught me how to play guitar and piano. So like over the years, we've just, you know, sung together. We There's a song, Edelweiss. I don't know if you... Yeah, I like the sound of music. Yes. That's yeah, like yeah. the captain. <laughs> I'm like Liesl. It's so funny. <laughs> this day we still play it together. We're in song right now, actually, on the side. And it's it's funny that you ask that question about relationships because I feel like each person that I'm really close to in my life has their own song, whether it be something I wrote or something just that I know they love. Like if I play it, it's their song. And so I feel like music really is a way to show love and it just kind of permeates your relationship uh, over time. So yeah, there's not like one particular song that really sticks out, but I would just say that like each important person in my life kind of has their own song, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think that's even how our students, they have, they each have a little piece of us or a thing that we reminds us of them. And I always like to think of my life through song lyrics. So that's why I started asking my guests about, you know, the songs that define them. And I know for myself, I have a lot of strong memories with my dad and just listening to James Taylor music and him blasting it around the house. And it, and I don't know, James is just really soothing. So he just makes me feel safe and I feel I don't know. And I like pondering the words that he sings because he's kind of a poet. I don't know if you listen to James Taylor. I do. I love James Taylor. And I know what you mean. Like there's a certain warmth to him. And I agree. I think that there are certain um, songwriters that just have this poetry to them and the song really tells a story. And that's, I think it kind of resonates with us as therapists in a way because we're passionate about storytelling. You know what I mean? Like I feel like Mm -hmm. when you go to your why as a therapist, at least for me, I, I feel like I always like to get at the heart of like the story that someone really wants to share with the world, what they're, you know, what's important to them. And I feel like songs do that. They do it in such a beautiful way. And I, I agree about James Taylor completely. He just has a certain, I don't know, certain quality to him that makes him stand out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen him a couple times in concert and it's, 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 yeah, That's it's a cool, cool experience. Yeah. So I think this relates a lot to re- building rapport and trust with our students just 
how, all the things you were talking about relating to music. And I would love it if you could just jump in and share what it means to you to build rapport with your students and why you think it's so important. Sure. Well, I think, you know, building trust and rapport, it's just so essential. And again, going back to kind of our why as SLPs, we, we want to help kids find their voice and you know communicate and tell their stories. And we take them on this journey and, you know, they often come to us feeling vulnerable. They often experience frustration because what we're asking them to do is challenging for them. So I think it's so critical that we're a safe space where they can make mistakes and that they really know that we're in their corner and really that we care. I feel like the essence of like rapport is just making sure students know how much you care. And I think if they feel that from you, they really can overcome so many obstacles. So I think that's kind of like a critical piece for them to really grow. And have you noticed with just over the years, like some kids, they build that trust and rapport in a day and then others, it could take Mm -hmm. months and then others even longer. Absolutely. I mean, that's what's kind of cool about our work. I feel like it really is individualized in so many ways and you you really are so insightful. I agree. Like I feel like every ch- child has their own sort of timeline for you know how you develop your relationship and, and how you feel, get, get that comfort level. I've found in general that my older students, it takes longer because you just have to, I don't know, take more time with them. Um, I, I've found with those really elementary kids, a day is pretty common. <laughs> it's just <laughs> how that is. Yeah, no, it's true. I worked with middle school and one year in high school and you have, yeah, I, I had a social emotional needs class at one of my middle schools. And I just remember having to do so many like off the wall, just things that I had to do based on my gut just to, mm-hmm. um, just like, okay, well, that didn't work last week or, oh no, they're about to flip me off. Okay. So what can I do to pivot that? How can I keep the environment calm and safe or, you know, oh no, okay. They're not really happy with me. Um, it's, it isn't, it's harder. I think as they get older, I don't know why I think. I, I, I just well, you know, you made me think of a, of a story. Like when I was working in a district, there was one day a week where I was between a few different schools And I went from my elementary school in the morning and I went to a high school in the afternoon. And I remember my first day doing that. And and the high school was actually for children, not children, for older students, of course, who had more behavioral and emotional challenges. So when I, you know, walked into that setting, I was still kind of in elementary mode. And the reaction I got when I first started interacting in my sessions was not so warm (laughs) at Right. I was still kind of in the other, I was, I was communicating as I did in the elementary um, setting. So I quickly kind of stepped back and I, I changed my whole demeanor and that made a difference for sure. But it, it's true. It's you have to just constantly monitor what's going on and, and, the, and take in that feedback and reflect in real time to, to really engage them. Yes, I totally agree with that. And that could be a challenge if that's not something that maybe you feel is a skill set that just comes naturally to you as a speech pathologist. So I could see how some SLPs could feel really overwhelmed when a lot of their groups, they're struggling with creating that rapport because it is stressful It is when you have that one group and you're like, this is not, this is going to be the longest 30 minutes of my life. 
I know. And that's that learning that we talked about, like on the job that you just don't learn in school. You just have to kind of pick it up and, and, and kind of go through that experience. But it, it was hard. I think that over time it gets easier, but it was a big light bulb moment for me for sure. Cool. So I would like to know what does re- building rapport and trust look like for you and your caseload of students? So, I mean, I think the nice thing about building trust and rapport is that it's pretty intuitive. I think it does come pretty naturally when your heart is in it. Specifically, I think initially when you start therapy, it's just so helpful to take time to ask and answer personal questions. I think it's really good to share things about your own life because I think, you know, they want to learn about you and you want to model that and the relationship works both ways. I also think it's really important and helpful to take a little bit of time to do check-ins at the beginning of sessions, whether it be in the hallway or during the first five minutes of your session, so you can know how they're doing, and also just letting them know that you care about how they're doing. I actually created um, my own little like virtual calm-down corner, and I put a little check-in in the area in there, so students can kind of go in and have a visual and, you know, just talk about how they're feeling, if they need to review like some strategies. And I like to also model that too, if I'm maybe having a day where I'm not always at my best. And I want to say, well, this morning I was feeling a little frustrated because of this. So I, I think checking in is important. And just overall, I feel like, well, there's this quote that I I love from a play. Uh, I like using theater, actually, in in, uh, therapy. And there's this quote from Death of a Salesman by Arthur Miller. And at the end of that play, one of the main characters says, attention must be paid. And that has stayed with me over the years because I feel like it's just kind of sums it up that students just need your attention to kind of the big picture of, of their lives just for at least for a few minutes and, and to really notice whether, you know, you can kind of tell if a student isn't doing well. And, and when you notice them and see them, I think that goes a long way. Yes. I like how I like the idea of using your virtual calm down corner and you telling the kids how you were feeling mm-hmm. and showing like, even when it's not a good day and how you're overcoming that. So I really like that. And then I was wondering, like, what does a check-in look like? Is it just asking a question of the week or do you just go over the virtual calm down corner visuals with them? Well, I mean, you can do it whatever way feels natural to you. I like the idea of a question of the week, but what I've done is I, I kind of, I it's like an emotion check-in. So I'll, I'll click a button that says emotions and there's this whole kind of area of emojis actually that I created with different feelings. I try to use a lot of different vocabulary for the feelings as well, different synonyms for, for, you know, frustration, anger, disappointment, things like that to get kind of more at the heart of what I might be feeling, what they might be feeling. But essentially I'll just say, okay, how are you feeling today? Did you have more than one feeling today? I like to talk about mixed emotions because rarely do we ever go through a whole day where we just feel one thing, right? We, we feel spontaneously. Mm-hmm. I talk about that and that it's okay to feel those things. There's nothing wrong with feeling angry or disappointed. And yeah, I have it so you can click on the feeling. And then when you do, it'll link to something else related to that, like strategies or encouragement if needed, things like that. So, Oh, cool. um, So it's mostly a check-in of like seeing where everyone is at in the group emotionally so you can gauge what your expectations are going to be for them in the session as well. 
it sounds yes, like. Absolutely. And I think it's particularly helpful for kids working on like pragmatic language as well and being able to express their emotions and kind of learn how to navigate those, those difficult moments and engage in that problem solving proactively. Very cool. So is the check-in thing with all the emojis and emotions, is that part of the virtual calm down corner resource? Okay, cool. I will put that in the show notes for people to access because it sounds really cool for distance learning. And I know for some speech pathologists, they really like to have kind of a framework or setup. And this sounds like it really just helps keep that flow and your sessions stay consistent as well. Like the kid knows what's going to happen. I think I also find it's been helpful. I, I first created it also with the, with the idea of if there's a problem and I need to just kind of grab it, you know, like, and, and whether I'm in my room or if I'm in a classroom or in the hallway, it's always with me, like a corner that's always there because I feel like sometimes those things happen so unexpectedly in a classroom setting where you kind of need to help students bridge that gap between their work with you. But, you know, if you're working on things like those social pragmatic language skills, helping them uh, to kind of carry over some of those strategies into the classroom as well. Well, yeah. So you just bring it on your iPad then. Yeah. And no, I have had plenty of, I have plenty of stories of me like waiting in the hallway (laughs) because the kid decided to throw himself on the floor or I'm waiting patiently because they're refusing to come or they're because transition, we know transitions are hard for our students. So I like the idea of having that with you, or sometimes I'll do push in, in the lunchroom. So I like that idea of having a calm down corner anywhere. Exactly. You said it so perfectly. <laughs> Transition. I mean, it's good for adults too. Let me just say. <laughs> well, yeah, we got to, we have a stressful job, right. you know, and we can easily pop our lids with frustration probably this year and or 2020 was a definitely a test of checking in. My emotions changed probably every couple of hours. Right. It's true. So. It's so true. <laughs> I saw on your Instagram feed about May. I don't know if I'm saying this right. Maslow or Maslow. I think that's right. Yeah, it sounds right. Okay. Maslow, I think Maslow. Maslow's okay. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and um, I was very intrigued by it, and would love if you could explain in detail about this framework and where you heard, you know, where you learned about it and what it is. And I think some SLPs would like to understand. The framework. Absolutely. So, yeah, so Maslow was a a psychologist. And so he created this hierarchy of needs, which essentially is just like a pyramid. And it ranks our most essential needs as human beings, you know, starting from our physiological and safety needs like food and security, all the way up to the top of the pyramid where you reach self actualization or self fulfillment, like when you're really being creative and things like that. So, It basically follows the notion that you can't achieve self-actualization if you don't have enough food or loving relationships first. So I actually created a special version of this hierarchy of needs for educators because I really think that it directly applies to our work with our students. So, So for example, on the pyramid that I have, I included some questions to ask and reflect on. So for like physiological needs, I asked, you know, did they eat breakfast and sleep? Are they healthy? And then when you go up another tier, it's safety needs. 
And do they have a home? You know, do they have like a stable home situation? Are they safe? And then the next one is belongingness and love needs. And do they have emotional support? And then there's esteem needs. So I wrote, do they experience success? Um, and the very top is that self-actualizations. Are they creative and curious? So kind of the idea behind that is meeting our students where they are. How can we really work on a goal like, let's say, language attributes if our student is hungry? Or, you know, how can we effectively treat speech and language without seeing that whole child? So, and I actually do have this for free on my blog to download as well, if that might be helpful to anybody who's listening. I just think it's helpful to have that visual there so we can glance at it and think, okay, where is my student today? Yes, because I could see how, especially SLPs that have giant caseloads, I remember kind of what you were talking about earlier with attention must be paid. Some of my, I mean, I would go, I had 75, 80 kids and I would go the whole day with groups of four and five. It'd be a joy if I had three or two in my group. And just remembering to remind myself like to be to pay attention, to see the child and not just be so focused on the goals. Because when you have that many in a group, it's a lot of pressure to want to stick to the IEP goals. Like mm-hmm. well, this, this is the only time I can see you. We got to get, go, go, go. We got to go. And you said it so perfectly, like the caseload and the workload is just, it, it's so hard to do it all. And, and you're, you have to have this laser like focus on like what you have to accomplish. So you, I agree. It's such a challenge sometimes to like step back and take that minute to kind of look at the whole picture. Yeah. So I, I, I like this whole thing. And I, and I remember I had a particular student where he was kind of my, he was gen ed kid working on his R and he came in and I'm like, we got to get practicing. Like, let's go, go, go. And then he looked like he was going to cry. And I kept trying to push myself like, no, we're going to come on speech time. And then I just realized like, okay, something else is wrong. And I took the time and pushed away from the goals, went away from the goals. And I found out that he lost his favorite sports jacket. So we ended up going out on the playground to look for it. And, you know, quote, unquote, we wasted some speech time, but it built safety and trust. And he felt like, I think that I was there for him. And that was a big reminder for me that not to get so caught up in always the data and the goals and what, what we have to accomplish on paper. I love that story. And I, I think it's so interesting too, that like you remember it, right? Because it really struck a chord with you in this deeper way, right? Because you mm-hmm. hear so much about your kids and it's just, it really is a hard job, like, especially with your caseload that you had of 70 or 80. I mean, that's such a challenge. So of course we have to give ourselves grace. Like I hope you did because it sounds like you've done so much <laughs> with it, that whole caseload, it's so difficult. But I think the fact that you stopped and you recognize that is, it just goes such a long way. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was something that I think stuck out to me because it was some, you know, it's my aha moment. And piggybacking on that, I know that it sounds like you've had a lot of experience with just a wide variety of kids that have needs from either trauma or behavior challenges, or they're in foster care or that, you know, th- things that are really impactful, right. In their lives. What tips can you give SLPs for creating a safe and supportive therapy envi- environment for some of our kids that are 
really struggling for various reasons that go, that it's going to take that a little bit longer to build trust and support with them and, mm-hmm. and rapport. Yeah. Well, when I've been in situations with students that have been through trauma, I've almost always had a one-on-one session with them. And I think that definitely helps to build the relationship and to create that safer space if they are vulnerable. And I love that we have, I mean, that ability as therapists to do that. I mean, sometimes we can't, but I've been fortunate where I've been able to do that. Some specific examples, I did work with a little girl who had been through several foster homes. She was in first grade. And you know, I really thought about the things that were important for her. So looking at that hierarchy of needs, you can kind of see where she was with that, you know, with her belongingness and love needs and, and things like that. So I always tried to give her a sense of control in our sessions. And it was simple, but I always gave her a choice. And that really seemed to be something that was important to her, which makes sense because she didn't have control in many aspects of her own life. I always tried to make our sessions predictable and made sure I was consistent. She could count on it. There was one time where I had an unexpected meeting and I couldn't get her that day and I couldn't let her know because it was just a kind of a sudden thing. Um, And she noticed that I, I didn't come that time. And I, of course, you know, took the time to explain it to her and it was fine, but it just showed how important that was to her to be consistent. And again, just the relationship, you know, letting her know that she's special. And, you know, I've also worked, as I said before, with kids that are older, like the high school students and the building I was in, students were there, you know, for more behavioral um, support and emotional support. So those relationships took longer to build. So I always made an effort to make my lessons feel very relevant to their lives. So I remember doing sessions about like job interviews and the driver's license exams that were coming up and tried to kind of work in my goals through those things. And that really helped. And I actually, at that school, I'll I'll mention real quick too, because it's interesting. They had a professional chef that was on staff there. He was a French chef. And in the morning announcements, they would um, talk about the menu for the day. And it was like amazing. They, They would have chicken cordon bleu and creme brulee. It was, it was wonderful. And the food was prepared by the students under the guidance of this chef. And these students were given chef's knives. They, it was like a real serious restaurant quality thing. And that stayed with me too, because it really meant something to those students that they were given trust. They were given time and attention. So all of those things really matter. And I felt, I feel like that kind of encapsulates a lot of what we're talking about too. Yeah, that's awesome. That school sounds cool. Yeah, it was really cool. I learned a lot there from not just the students, but just like, I feel like the principal, he was very innovative. And I think when you go outside the box, it really, it really can have an impact. Totally. I totally agree with that, especially with the older kids. Mm -hmm. It's like we've done, they've had that foundation. And if things aren't working, we got to try something new. At least that's what I noticed. Mm -hmm. But I love what you were saying about giving them control, finding out what they're really interested in and what's important to them and staying consistent. And just those little things can really go a long way. And I think that should help SLPs to feel a little less overwhelmed with serving some of our students that you don't have to make a bunch of bunch of materials. And sometimes it's just 
providing those little ways that you can be consistent, like putting the the schedule up each week, or you always give them every time they walk in a compliment or whatever it is that's going to help you stay consistent with them. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to go way overboard and spend lots of money and buy all these materials or prize box things. Mm-hmm. You said it so well, I think like it's, you don't need anything fancy and it's so doable. And I think once we realize that we can have such a big impact in such a small way, what I mean, like in such easy ways, it's so much easier to do. And it's just, it's something that we could just embed it throughout our day. Yes. I like that. So great practical tips. And I would love if you could just continue to share a little bit more about how SLPs can shift their mindset to thinking about the whole child. I know you mentioned that earlier and not just on the speech and language language goals. Because I know it's like I've said, it's hard sometimes to always keep that mindset about that. Absolutely. I mean, we often think about we're, we're working with a speech and language kid in our heads, right? But you're right. We're helping the whole child. And when we, when we first started as therapists, we were focused on, on this kind of long-term goal of, of helping kids um, communicate and achieve their, their larger goals in their lives. So sometimes it's kind of easy to you know, get caught up, as we spoke about before, about a particular goal and the percentage of accuracy and the data. But I think taking the time, that hierarchy has definitely helped me, the visual there, to just kind of think, okay, let me get to know this whole child. One thing I, I also love about our profession is how we get to work closely with other professionals. And that always helps me too, to see the whole child. So when we sit in a PPT, we're not the only ones there usually. And you know, we have the psychologist, we have the teacher. We, so we get this nice kind of well-rounded picture. And I think that does help a lot to kind of see everything. And one thing I think about too is you know, we've come a long way, I feel like, in society. I think about my parents when they were kids and the sentiment back then, what they used to say, I think it was children should be seen and not heard. I think that's what it is. Um, mm-hmm. Now, hopefully we've come a long way, you know, and, and children should be seen and heard. And I think that when we really just make sure we know that, make sure we are letting our students know that we want to really get to know who they are. Uh, again, I think that ju- that just is all you need to really help them grow. Totally. And if we get, if you guys all go download her free uh, hierarchy, you can put it in a cute little frame on your wall and have the visual support for yourself. I'm always about visual mm-hmm. supports <laughs> to help me remember the mindset I'm trying to achieve for the week. So I love all that. That sounds like really great practical ways we can um, shift our mindset. And I know before we wrap up, I would love if you shared some ways that you have used your students' interests or, you know, things that they need to work on, but how you've built interest in working on these goals in therapy. Cause I know that is one piece of it. They need to build trust and rapport. They need to see the buy-in of working with you. So I'd love to know what you do to help those tougher groups where building rapport is just really hard. Well, I think it always comes back to personalizing sessions and it doesn't have to be um, fancy like we said before. So I could give an example. I had a student who was an older elementary student and he had been through a lot of traumatic experiences. He'd had a lot of behavioral difficulties leading up to our 
time together prior to seeing me. So I knew kind of from the get-go what his history was. So of course my, you know, emphasis in the beginning was building that relationship. So I knew that he liked basketball and I didn't have access to any actual gym or anything, but I very simply just found this app with like a basketball game where you can just use your finger to play basketball. And we spent the first session just asking and answering questions like about each other to get to know each other and playing this basketball game. And then I think it was the next session I had created something very simple. I just wrote out some sentences and they were all about him and all about the things I learned about him. And one of his goals was like vocabulary, context clues, like strategies like that. So I incorporated that vocabulary into these sentences about him and it worked really well. Like he really seemed to like that. I remembered the things that he said that I was paying attention to, you know, what he cared about. And he seemed to enjoy the activity because it was kind of fun. For example, like, you know, he played football and I, maybe I wrote something like that he feels lethargic after practicing football for three hours. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it was a simple activity, but he really bought into it. And, you know, I've done other things with, you know, groups as well. I had some students at a completely different setting who many of them, you know, had a lot of more intense communication needs. Many of them were autistic. Some needed AAC. They were really into this book, um, Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. And I ended up adapting it into a very simple play. And we somehow managed to put on a little play together or their family. Yeah, it was really cool. And we worked on so many communication goals. So that was another way to kind of really engage them in that deeper way and and hook them in. And it was meaningful to them. So I guess to sum it up, (laughs) I have this little trick in my mind that I call the rule of the three M's. So I feel like I think to myself, okay, is this lesson motivating to the student? Is it meaningful in some way? And will it be memorable? And I want it to be memorable because I want them to internalize what we're working on and generalize the skills we're working on. But it also taps into that other piece about the relationship too, because I have to know what matters to them and I want it to be meaningful to them. I love that. That's a really good mantra, I guess you could say, for planning, engaging therapy lessons. And I'm going to start thinking about it that way because I, I do find a lot of success when I can can find ways to motivate students. And I loved your examples. I think that'll give SLPs a really good idea for how to just adjust something simply like doing a worksheet with context clues and then trying to find ways to make it be about their particular student is, is an easy shift, I think. It's not in the big, we don't have to shift that much, just little tweaks here and there to make it engaging. And I love that. Yeah, I think if, I think it really is important if it's little tweaks. I think if it were something that really would require a a ton of planning ahead of time, it would be harder to do that and sustain that. Um, But I think once we have that light bulb moment where we know that, you know what, these are some really small things I can do throughout my day that are not hard. I don't really have to plan a great deal. I've even written sentences like I talked about earlier in the moment, you know, in the session without doing it ahead of time. So it's all very doable. And I think if it's easy, it's so much um, more likely to stick and just become part of our practice. 
Yes, Claudia, you've given so much insight about building rapport and trust. And I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me. You do have, whenever I look at your materials in your TPT store, I'm always like, these are so engaging because they're so unique to special topics. And and now I can kind of see where, where you're going with some of those materials because you are always thinking about being meaningful and motivating. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot to me to hear. Yeah, I'm I mean, I love being able to chat with you because I feel like you really understand like what students need and I feel like you just have so much insight. So, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Yeah, awesome. Well, I same to you and uh yeah, so everyone, if you want to find Claudia, you can go to creativespeechlab.com and like I said, I will put in the show notes the link to the virtual calm down corner and her free printable for the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you can always find her on social media at Creative Speech Lab. So, definitely keep in touch with her and ask any questions that you may have further about uh, building rapport. And as always, be the SLP that every kid wants to see. And until next time, stay inspired, SLPs. Uh